yesterday was the primaries in Vermont. Um, and many people we interviewed won, including Becca Ballant and <laughs> the brand new state rep, uh, Nader Hasim. And uh, we're actually joined live in studio by brand new Wyndham District 1 state rep, Democratic nominee, Emily Kornheiser. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. It's so fun to be here today. How are you? Uh, how's uh, day two? Day two <laughs> feels great. Had a lot of good conversations on the street today when I was taking breaks from work and catching up on congratulations and really looking forward to taking the next step and to figure out how we can take our message and take the amazing campaign that we ran and leverage that for the statewide races. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit more about your work leading up to the election? Um, something I was noticing from away, I was actually away the last three weeks, but following you on um, social media was some of the work you were doing around getting out the vote. So both like your own campaign, but then generally like promoting democracy in Wyndham County. Yes, absolutely. I um, was actually talking to my volunteer communications director today about how fun it would be if she could come on the show sometime and we could really talk about um, how we use social media a little differently than I think most of the Vermont campaigns do and sort of lessons learned and things to share with more folks. But I think we turned out a lot of folks who don't usually vote in primaries. We had people showing up who didn't know what district they were in who were just like really excited, activated, wanted to get involved. And I think a lot of that was how we used communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know any of the numbers about how many people turned out comparatively? Or we can come back to it if you're, oh, you have a piece of paper. I do have, no, this is not the piece of paper. Let's come back to that in a okay. second and I'll okay. find it while okay. I'm talking about something else. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, it's okay. I just, I remember I, I was at your um, event last night at the, American Legion, and they they were some hypothesis that the those was one of the best primary turns out turnouts in the past twelve years. So even that is um, was a was a tentative number. Yes, both the early voting and the final turnout were broke records since um, our town clerk has been tracking it. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's great. It's that's incredible. Great. Yeah. Um, so did you coordinate with other Wyndham County people running to do kind of the get out the vote campaign events together, kind of promoting? Well, because I was running against an incumbent Democrat in from the oh. House, the um, no one from the Vermont House or from the Vermont Democratic committees were able to coordinate with me at all. So I didn't have access to voter data except for what was publicly available at the town clerk's office. And I didn't really coordinate with any other campaigns, though I think some folks were sort of following and picking stuff up and there was the informal sharing. Mm -hmm. But no, there was no formal coordination on it. Is that a statewide rule that if you're running against an incumbent, you can't have access? Because that also happened to Daniel Freelich. So Daniel Freelich actually had a different thing happen to oh. him. Um, so for statewide races and for Senate races, if you are a long-standing Democrat and, you know, can prove your Democrat-ness, <laughs> then you have full access to voter data, you have full access to sort of campaign materials. However, the state, ho the House of Representatives um, campaign committee has a different rule. And that is if someone challenges an incumbent, then they're sort of kept out of the fold until after the primary. Mm -hmm. Which is 
probably in place to benefit incumbents, right? That they created that rule one they were in. I assume so. I yeah. do not know the history okay. of the rule, and I'm really looking forward to finding out more about it. Because yeah. one of the things that I think this campaign showed was that people show up for a competitive race. People show up to have conversations for a competitive race. People show up to vote for a competitive race. People need engagement and enlivenment, and it's it works. I mean, it makes it, makes it better. It makes the candidates better. It makes the whole process better. It does. It makes it more interesting. It makes yeah. it more dynamic, and it lets us get... The primaries are like when you really get into like the grit and the issues of what makes a party and what makes a platform. When By the time we get to the general, people are going to hopefully still be really activated and engaged, mm-hmm. but that's really more about... Often more about sort of protecting your own than about activating and involving new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about like things that you were hearing from your constituents? Like, what what were some of those conversations, and um, and then like, what about your own platform? Do you think people were excited by? So the campaign slogan was about committing to community, and on most doorsteps and community forums, what we would talk about is this idea of participatory democracy that Vermont loves to talk about. And we love town meeting, and it's a big part of sort of the ideology of the state and the culture of the state. But most people don't have time for that at all. Yeah. 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 Because we're all just trying to make ends meet. Right. And so that was really sort of the essence of most of the conversations that I had. It's how is, you know, each family strapped in a different way, whether that was lack of access to affordable childcare, low wages, high housing costs, and health care. Mm-hmm. Those were the big ones that came up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And what I tried to talk about, because often the first people, the first conversation that people would start around would be around affordability, which is what Governor Scott is always pushing, this affordability paradigm. And all that leads to is reducing taxes, which leads to reducing our public space, our public sphere. What we can provide what we can provide and the commons, like what it means for us all to have a community that takes care of itself and takes care of each other. So I'd really try to talk to people about, well, if you were getting something from your taxes that you could see, would that be different? If taxes included healthcare and then you were taking that off your bottom line, would that be different? For your employer, would that be different? Would you be able to be paid more if you had more government services coming into your place of employment? And all in all, the answer was always yes. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, I mean, I think we've talked about this um, with other candidates, and it's funny, we didn't actually talk to you in a candidate role officially when you were on the show last time, but I think um, this idea of, like, running a campaign as um, popular education and, like, half of the value of them is those conversations and the education that happens there. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what's missed in, like, Phil Scott's kind of analysis of the budget in Vermont is, like, if you cut costs there, it doesn't actually deter, mean that people can things other things are more affordable and nothing else is covered it just is like um and it doesn't necessarily mean you have that much more money to pay for those things right and not to mention that like people's actual jobs are going to be cut by cutting taxes yeah yeah so so <laughs> um the other thing uh i didn't know if you we i know you put a, a ton of work into this campaign um, I think you said you had visited every house in your district that you possibly could have that didn't have a, a sign up that said no solicitors or trespassers. Um, uh, do you have any tips or 
uh, from your candidacy that you would give to other people who would be interested in potentially running a campaign? Um, what about like the campaign in Vermont worked versus perhaps a campaign like in a larger city in Vermont? Um, district one is pretty geographically pretty big compared to some of the district two and district three in Brattleboro, but in terms of people, I don't know, if, or things you would learn, things you would do differently. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I said that I knocked on every door in the district and I realized yesterday that the street I live on, I didn't cover one half of it. So there's five houses <laughs> on my own street that I missed because I kept on thinking I was going to do it one day when I was walking the dog and I never did. Wow. But all the other streets, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to those folks on Akeley. I have met all of you before <laughs> at, you know. Walking the dog. Walking the dog or a party <laughs> at my house. But I never actually officially knocked as a um, politician. So I'm going to go back and do that before the November election. But things I learned. Um, the first few houses, when I first started, I was trying to figure out what people wanted or what my voice was and playing with that. And by the fourth house, I really just sort of stepped into this is my message. This is what I believe to be true. And doing that, really standing true to my values and my message, but doing it without defensiveness. So mm. really like listening openly and warmly, but not trying to shift who I was or what I was coming with. I never tried to move to the center mm-hmm. on what I was sharing. And um, sort of one really good example of that, I think, is that often people will talk about folks who are scamming the welfare system or, you know, I couldn't get social security benefits, so, but I know this other person who's totally scamming. And I would always listen and say, yeah, I really want everyone to get their needs met, yours too. Mm-hmm. And so it was really listening with compassion but staying true to my message, and I think that's super important. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to argue with people on their, your door, their doorstep. No. But no. compromising is not always... One, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And two, that means that I'm just going to disappoint a lot of people when I'm actually doing the work that I'm going to do in the legislature. Mm-hmm. So that's one big message. Um, we had, I had all the dirt roads. So I think if I could do it in West Brattleboro, you could do it in almost any other district um, and do it successfully. Mm-hmm. Comfortable shoes are really important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then for the last few, we used the car and sort of hopped out, uh-huh. which was not as fun or as, in, you know, wasn't as fun, but necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was really important that I did it myself, that I didn't send people on my behalf to do that. I know you couldn't do that with a statewide race. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in a statewide race, it would be really important to have people's neighbors coming to talk to them because it was, it was that deep personal connection that I found with each person that I think made the difference. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just giving a pitch and making an ask. It was just sitting down and talking. Mm-hmm. And you had a few, like, house, like, mini meet, meet me, talk to me kind of functions. Mm-hmm. Did you think that was a good way to, to maybe a better avenue to talk more about your ideas or what you were hoping for and stuff like that as a that, as Those a were really fun. So we called them house parties, but house traditionally parties. political house parties are fundraising events. And we very explicitly did not make these fundraising events. Mm-hmm. We just tried to have, you know, one on each sort of little mini neighborhood or road. Invite people, invite their neighbors over. We tried to have a few different people be part of the invitation crew. So it wasn't just someone's friends, but some strangers. So neighbors were meeting each other for the first time. And then 
those were incredible. Some, some of them, there was just four or five people and we got into really deep policy conversations about people's lives and some were much larger and we had much larger group conversations and those were great too. Mm-hmm. I think those were also really effective, but I think doing both is important because a lot of people aren't going to, aren't going to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about what's next for you, but anything else you want to say about like the campaign process before we move on? I th- in all of the trainings around sort of how to run a good campaign, um, there's a lot of emphasis on being really careful with your time and you know only spending a minute at each door, only knocking on doors that you think will be likely voters. And I didn't do any of that. I took exactly as long as someone wanted to take talking to me. And I knocked on every door. I knocked on non-registered voters' doors. I knocked on Republican doors. I knocked on every door. And I'm going to represent all of those people. And so I think it's important that I met all of them and make sure that they know that they're part of this process, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to have worked. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I can't imagine being a politician, but I can't imagine, like, really putting myself out there like that like that's a real active vulnerability and like time and energy so I commend you for doing that thank you yeah I'll say it was really um I've been clear for quite a number of years that I thought the best place to make change in the state was for me to be in the legislature and I was very excited about the conversations in committee and being on the floor and all of the work of the legislature and the campaigning sounded really terrifying to me um all of that self-promotion Mm-hmm. And I realized after less than a week that it wasn't about promoting myself. It was just about like really facilitating space for everyone in the community to share what they needed and to think about that and talk about that. So when it when I was able to shift that, it became not about me, but about everyone else. And that was a lot easier. I think that's important because I think I would get hung up on that, too. Mm-hmm. Where I'd be like, ah, I don't want to see my name everywhere. I'm like... <laughs> Stop. Stop I, wearing my I hand. still haven't recovered from habit, my picture. I'm still yeah. not entirely comfortable with the pictures yeah. and the videos I hardly ever watch. Yeah. I can listen to podcasts or radio shows of myself very comfortably, but the videos are difficult. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. It's like, oh, You're I spend time with myself every day. This is. One of my favorite events of the whole campaign and that we had, I got so much incredible feedback from, was the event that you suggested at the library page. Oh, And good. people were so excited to see a different side of candidates. I think partly because it was relatable and partly because you, I think everyone really wants to know sort of how we all got to this political place we were in and what sort of the deeper background of some of our political thinking was. Because we don't talk about this very much. We just, we often just have this straight, Democrat platform or progressive platform and if someone checks all those boxes then like yes you're going to vote for them but I think understanding people's intellectual and philosophical and emotional framework behind those policy platforms is really important to know how someone's going to advocate what's going to happen and sort of the little details of policy and if people are going to be able to be mindful of that and I think that's the book event at the library was an opportunity for people to see that backstory. Mm-hmm. Which is great. I mean, it's also hard too because you only have this window of time to convey 
this message and mm-hmm. so having like you don't want to be like well in third grade I was inspired by watching you know whatever it just is like but there's so much that goes into people when they decide to run for politics I think specifically in a state like this where it just is so um, it's it's a small community and so it's based on really on like the community that you're in and who uh you know, who you talk to and who you communicate with and what needs you see. And that is informed by a huge life that's a lot longer than the one minute I have to give you my campaign spiel or whatever. That's the other thing that was really, I remember being nervous about was, um, and kind of obstinate about even, Mm. was this idea that I needed to have a one minute pitch Mm -hmm. and that I needed to have three issues that were my issues and narrowing it down that way. I was really irate about it at the beginning because it felt um, a little corrupted to me. Or disingenuous. And disingenuous, exactly. Because, like, how do you how do you care about healthcare without understanding all of these other factors that go into it? Yeah. How do you care about, you know, all? It just is. They're all connected. And I know? wanted to say vote for me because I think systemically, which yeah. is not really compelling to most people. It might be compelling <laughs> to you too with your radio show, but it is not compelling, so compelling. to most people. <laughs> However, I did realize that. I do think that people are happy to welcome nuance into the political process in a way that we don't necessarily give our community credit for all the time. And I think the social media was a way that we were able to bring a lot of nuance to the process. Yeah. I think I think people are hungry for that actually. Yeah. yeah, like and the way you talked about how you talked with um your constituents I think exemplifies that. Yeah, I think and I just to like add on onto that like not only people they would like the facts and the information but I think by not giving people that we we undercut their own intelligence and then you're already insulting your constituents that you're representing you're like oh you're not interested in that let me give you but like people actually are it just is the matter of making it uh, relatable and like giving them the information to to understand that you know I think everyone has is concerned about all of these things if they just you know um, if things are presented to them in a way that like makes sense for where they're coming from and stuff like that what what came up quite a few times is people would say oh no I don't I don't vote I'm not involved in all that political stuff I'm not interested in all that political stuff and I would say well all that political stuff is interested in you like it's affecting your life, whether you want it to or not, or whether you're paying attention or not. So let's talk for a minute just about how it influences your life and see if you want to do anything from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So affects everything. Right. How quick did that fire department respond when you had that fire at your house? Or right. You know. Do you, like do you work? Do you not? It's a <laughs> political act. Yeah. How quick are your roads plowed? Oh, they aren't. Oh, okay. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh, well, in the spirit of uh, our only having an hour, um, can you talk a little bit? So we assume you don't have much of a Republican challenger in your district. Right. I do. There are no other declared candidates in the district. I think there are quite a few other races in the district right now that have independent challengers coming up. Um, state Senate race in Wyndham County has an independent who's declared but nope 
No independents, no Republicans. So at this point, it would be a write-in candidate. Okay. So how do you plan to use the time between now and November? Next week, I'm going to go swimming and make some pickles with my son. <laughs> I'm really excited. We're both taking the week off. Um, and so that's going to be wonderful. I'm going to spend a bit of time at work really making sure that I've built a department that functions very well in my absence so that when I'm working much more part-time, things can run fluidly. And I think that's to the benefit of everyone there as well as my time away. So I'm going to be doing that at work. And then I want to continue talking to constituents to make sure I'm going to Montpelier as well as formant as I can be. Um, and I'm sure there are going to be quite a few candidate forums and opportunities for that. And then I'm really looking forward to taking the kind of organizing we've done on this campaign and one, use it throughout the county and the community to keep on going to build up energy around the November election, especially the governor's race. Yeah. And then hopefully working with other house races that have competitive um, elections in November to help them win so that we can have a veto-proof majority this January. Great that you mentioned <laughs> Favorite topic of the show. <laughs> so I didn't know if you knew of any specifically state races that look like they're going to be pretty competitive in November for some of those House seats that could switch that majority or if there's like, you know, people we should pay attention to if you had any names or districts that you can think of of that are going to be yeah, tight. Yeah, um, really, um, and I don't have the complete list off the top of my head. That's fine. I um, don't either. So. But happy to come on another time and talk <laughs> about that between now and November, or um, Tristan would be a great person to talk to about. Okay. Um, the races that I'm paying a lot of attention to and I'm looking forward to really supporting are Kate LaRose's um, race in St. Albans. She's mm -hmm. running an incredible campaign I mean, really just a beautiful campaign. She has this project. One piece of her campaign is she's doing weekly visits to different places in the community, like real infrastructure spots. So she went to the prison in St. Albans. She went to the water treatment center. She went to the dump. And each time she invites anyone in the community to join her on this community field trip while she's learning more about the community, which I think is just I love it. beautiful, yeah. golden. <laughs> I want to go. Yeah. Um, and so, and she's all doing all the door knocking and all the great stuff. And she's a close colleague of mine from when I did the Vermont Leadership Institute. So excited, one, to really work with her in Montpelier. So selfishly want her to win. Yeah. And two, I think she's just a kick-ass candidate who's going to do a great job on behalf of her community. And that's um, a seat that was previously held by a Republican. Mm -hmm. And then um, in Manchester, Kathleen James, who's a colleague from Emerge, is running a competitive race in November um, and just doing a really great job so far. And then Mari Cordes, who um, was recently endorsed by Senator Sanders, mm -hmm. um, is running a competitive race as well. And then there are quite a few others around the state, but those are sort of the three that are top of mind for me right now. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and Sarah Coffey and Guilford would and replace... And Sarah Coffey and Guilford. Would replace Mike Herbert, who stepped down. And that yes. was a red... <clears throat> a Republican, yes. Vernon, and she. But she does have. So she won that. She was unchallenged as the Democratic nominee, but she does have a challenger. She has a new challenger. He um, did not declare early enough, so he has. He had to do write-ins, mm -hmm. um, but he did get enough write-ins on the ticket, and I think she's going to have 
a great race ahead of her, and I have absolute confidence in her ability to win this. Yeah, and that'll be... So that's a local one, too. That's a local one for us all to dive into. That's going to be fabulous. Yeah. But, um, do we want to talk about the... Do you want to... Uh, governor? Sure. Race? Yeah, yeah. Do so... We have a pri- we have a primary candidate for against Phil Scott, Christine. We Hawkins do, won. yeah. Yesterday, do yeah. you have any thoughts about that campaign or what that? Really, be like? I thought Christine Hallquist's campaign did a great job. They had um, their communication material seemed really solid. The letters that I received in my email every few days all felt really intimate, um, really engaging, really personal, and really cut to the heart of the issues. That really impressed me throughout the campaign. I'm really excited about Christine's experience with co-ops mm-hmm. and this combination of understanding different ways of working an economy combined with infrastructure mm-hmm. and deep regulatory experience. So I feel like she combines understanding how government works from sort of both the inside and the outside, understands different ways of organizing capitalism, co-ops, which Vermont is a leader in. Mm-hmm. Um, and has a really great team working with her. So I'm looking forward to diving in to support that one, too. Mm-hmm. That'll probably be a pretty contention, like, tight battle. <laughs> yeah. I, it'll, so there's this thing that no one talks about, this, like, that it's very hard to be an incumbent first-term governor in Vermont. Uh and, you know, not only, like, financially, like, the ability to raise the money to effectively fight the incumbent, but also, like, people seem to like stability in Vermont. So that's um, one thing to watch. Um, I'm also a little bit curious about, I, I don't know enough about her politics. Um, I think I've read a little bit that she tends to skew a little bit more, like, fiscally conservative. I think she's not... She's certainly not as far left in rhetoric as I would like and be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how much of that is a natural sort of conservative way of speaking or a genuine political conservatism. Mm-hmm. I know that she has voted, you know, sort of center right mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how much she has genuinely changed her perspective or how much the right has just moved so far right that now the center right feels left, which is we know is happening nationally. Mm-hmm. And also think that in the run-up to an election, there's a really great opportunity to help candidates see a different way of doing things and a different way of doing business, that if we can engage with her campaign um, by joining it and transforming it from within, I think we might have a really great chance of having a good left leader in a way that we don't always do on the left. I think often we, you know, go in fighting um, and destroy ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's really an opportunity here to, you know, share perspectives. She is fairly new to politics. I think is very open about how much she has to learn. And one of the things I really like about her as a leader is that she thinks of herself as a facilitative leader and really looking to the people that she's working with to share that leadership. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have a real opportunity on the left mm-hmm. in, in having those open conversations in the lead up to November. I think that's also a great way of looking at it because then you can use the time, you know, the discussions you have up to it also to be able to put 
like have an opportunity to then be able to hold your representative accountable mm-hmm. in a in a in a more real sense I think because then you're like this is what we were involved in this whole campaign and now I'm here waiting for like ready for you to do what we talked like what we talked about and had conversations about because if you just show up and vote and there was no pre discussion the accountability is just based on this one-sided promotion of what they're doing mm-hmm. so yeah and it's, it's been really interesting because in some ways I feel like people are um, retroactively holding Phil Scott accountable um, like a lot of people are really paying attention to his decision-making process and like um, I think involved in the conversation of how he's been governing so it would be really cool to have the chance to like actually start from that point of like you already have a relationship with your governor and um, you can hold them accountable and I think that's something that uh, a lesson learned on the left is you you can't stop organizing after someone's been elected absolutely absolutely the um so we talked about uh like state stuff but I didn't know if you want to talk about you got an endorsement from our revolution I did. And I, I did. just wanted to congratulate you on, on you. that endorsement. And then um, yesterday was a big day for a bunch of our revolution candidates uh, nationally. They had um, another woman in, in Minnesota uh, who probably will go uncontested. So that's probably do her and um, a woman from Michigan. So we have two new uh, Muslim representatives in the house, which is really exciting. Um, and a, and a cool win. Um, but I didn't know if you had any, uh, national, uh, as primaries are coming up and they'll keep coming up until the, the election in the fall, if you had any national races that you were paying attention to or looking at or previously things that were encouraging, um, or for you going into your campaign or something to look to in the coming month. Well, I have quite a political crush on Alexandria Octavio Cortez. Who doesn't? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Both her, you know, her video, the post hoc deconstruction of the campaign, have a deep love of the streets of New York and how much she sought to like come up from and understand her constituents and how incredibly comfortable she is speaking with her own voice and speaking truth to power is just absolutely inspiring yeah and she can wear red lipstick like no one's business (laughs) (laughs) i actually thought a lot about her in seeing your campaign like she had a photo of her shoes and i think like there was at one point you posted a photo of the shoes where you'd like you both like really talk to everybody you know like as much as you could mm-hmm. I, I did wish that I could have had sort of a subway shoe changing shot <laughs> shot but yeah yeah I really liked she had one quote recently she was like you may have seen me in this dress already deal with it like <laughs> just so good like I only have a wardrobe that's so big so that's just the way it's gonna be and what really inspires me about her is that she is she knows herself and she's come to a comfort with herself and who she is and what she comes to the world with that is what I want from really all of our politicians. Because I think when you know yourself well enough to speak for yourself and speak from your true self and listen from that, we lose defensiveness, we come into community better, and trust becomes a totally different paradigm. And I think as we sort of 
come into this next phase of our political lives together in America, I hope we see a lot more of that because it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for the, the midterm elections because I, I know a bunch of people um, have won their primary that are in the, the Justice Democrat or Our Revolution, and it'll be really great in November to see those people sent to to Washington or to their state representatives wherever um, wherever they're going and have that um, change start to take place because I think it it does it will be so much more effective to have you know double the amount of people in Congress who are interested in highlighting um, what all of these actual lives are yeah yeah. It's been really interesting for me. In the last few weeks of the race, I was thinking a lot more um, about helping folks in our community see the parallels between this battle over the heart of the Democratic Party that's happening on a national scale and how it does play itself out in our state internally, you know, and really helping people see that, understand that, and figure out how to make change within that paradigm because the same thing is happening here in Vermont, and we should pay attention to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, along those lines, like, um, so, like, Peter Welch was, received the nomination again. Any thoughts on that or how that fits in with what we were just talking about? It's really, similarly, um, I'd really like him to stop taking corporate contributions and PAC contributions, and I think many, many Vermonters did. Um, I think Dan Frelick ran a good campaign, but... He wasn't everywhere. He wasn't enough. I mean, challenging an incumbent is a very, very, very hard thing to do in Vermont. Mm -hmm. It is everywhere, but I think it's particularly hard in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And I think what he was able to do to get his message out, though, was is going to have ripple effects for a long, long time. What I think is important is folks who are at a certain point in their career, like any of the can the folks that we sent to Washington, you know, whether that's Bernie or Leahy or Peter Welch, they're all at a point in their political careers where they don't need to fundraise as much. They don't need to run as hard a race. People are just voting comfortably for them because they know them and they trust them and they're doing good jobs. They're doing great jobs. So at that point in your career, why not take this very, it's not even a risk at this point. It is not a political risk. It's not even a political calculation to say no more pack money. Mm-hmm. And so why not? And it, he, I did not see him answer that question in a way that satisfied me ever on this race. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, that has to do with a larger discussion of, like, the perhaps the corruption of the overall Democratic Party, of perhaps you giving money to Leahy and Leahy funneling money to someone in Florida for a campaign race that's more tightly held or whatever. But I didn't give that money to Leahy to give that person in Florida. So just those channels of like, well, then who is that person in Florida representing if they're getting my money from, they're not getting the money from their own constituents. So I think it's interesting that you'd use the word corruption for that. Oh, Um, I think it's a lack of transparency, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'd call it corruption necessarily. So, and because similarly, it was fairly new news to me that people will pass sort of campaign money from one campaign to another comfortably, that you can, you know, a campaign can make campaign contributions to another campaign. That was new information to me. Mm-hmm. But I, f- I think 
all voters knew that, then that just becomes an issue of transparency, and that's what you're agreeing to. You're trusting this person you're donating to to also donate to other candidates that you care about. I would say some of the money funneling mm. perhaps ends up in a corrupt... Like, the some of the money funneling between the DNC and the, DN, the DCCC mm-hmm. tries to do a little corruption by getting around state limit levels mm. and personal contribution levels mm-hmm. um, right. in perhaps a legal way. Mm-hmm. Legal, legal but loophole, but eth- ethically, perhaps not. And not to the spirit of the law. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess that that's where my statement of that coming in. And especially, I don't know, uh, you know, sup- sp- and I guess the, the specific scenario that I referenced was Leahy was supporting sending campaign finance money to Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who mm. had a huge falling out with the Democratic National Committee due to her uh, leading of the DNC during the 2016 primaries. Um and, you know, she has some policies that are pretty terrible that she supports, uh, including payday loans and stuff like that. But uh, that's the specific instance that I was referencing in terms of that. But um, I do think it's, it's, it makes it a lot murkier in general. And when you're trying to get across, uh, you know, I, I want to all of these issues that are really important uh, and yet you're not willing to be truthful about the finances behind your candidacy. And so many of these rules happen in our Democratic town committee, county committee, and state committee rooms, conversations. Um, And those meetings are really very boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out a way as a party to make sure we're inviting many more people into that conversation and having people understand that that's where those decisions get made and that's a place to make change in those decisions. And that also comes back to your to your first thing where your constituents were like, this is great, democracy is great, I don't have time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I would go to all these meetings, I, I love this stuff, and I, like, I don't, you know, yeah. I don't have time, and I would go sit in a budget meeting for hours, and I would love it, but... So know. we know that... Um, our elected officials have an obligation to regularly communicate with their constituents, but how does our party have an op, you know, have a responsibility to communicate with its constituents? How does sort of, my friend Lisa, who's been um, a great supporter on the campaign, has been talking a lot about what is the base's responsibility and what is the party's responsibility to the base? And does it, it has to move beyond just a transactional votes and money, money and votes to shaping the values that affect all of our lives. And do you think, well, I guess I could hypothesize, but from your, like, I guess this is more of a philosophical idea, but like, do you think part of the work of constituents is to go, like go out and get a vote from their constituent or that part of that vote is earned. I guess this is more on a like statewide or national level. But there's, I think, along with that kind of base responsibility, conflicting ideas. There's um, perhaps ideas of like, well, uh, it's the, is it the nominee's position to go out and gain the votes of their candidates, or is it the responsibility of the constituents to vote for a certain? Do you understand that? The, or what I'm. 
Yeah, and I think similarly to how there's, you know, we can't think about healthcare in isolation from the economy. Yeah. We can't think of, none of those are one-way relationships. They're two-way relationships. So when I, you know, usually people talk about knocking on doors is that's how you win elections, meaning you're going around and you're asking for votes. Mm-hmm. But what I found from the process is and it wasn't about me trying to prove something to my constituents. It was about making sure I understood my constituents' values and stories well enough that I'll then be able to represent them in a wholehearted way when I get to Montpelier. So what is supposed to be a transactional relationship wound up much more um, cyclical Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for the party, which is made up of not just folks who are in elected office, but many other members of our community. I think it's true for the party. I think it's true for elected officials. And I do. I think that, you know, our community members need to step up. But we're not going to be able to do that until we can fix the economy. Yeah. Yeah. I have those numbers if you still want that. I don't know if that's maybe something you want to close with or... What do you want to do? Well... I had a question, so why don't we cl- why don't we close with that? That would okay. be a cool stat. Um, so, just thinking about you know one part of the barrier to participating in the process is money and time, as you said, and uh, the other that I think Paige and you were both alluding to is that this, these meetings can be boring, um, and that part of or great. Yeah, if you're uh, <laughs> if you're Paige, uh, if you're I mean, I love a good boring nerd. Meeting. I love boring <laughs> meetings, but. You're both nerds. Um, so, <laughs> um, and you mentioned that in part of your campaign, you were like engaging constituents in a new way with social media. Do you have other ideas for changing like processes that aren't necessarily like related to the ballot box to activate um, constituents? And like, how do, how do we involve people in conversations? How do we change like budgeting, budgetary conversations? I think a lot of people don't feel like they have a right to be part of the conversation Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. You know, their parents didn't feel like they had a right. Their only experience with state systems has been punitive or gatekeeping um, because of the welfare system. Whatever it is, so many people don't feel like they have a right to be part of the conversation. So the first step is really just inviting people in. Mm. And that doesn't just happen with the invitation to the meeting. That means that the meeting is also gracious. Mm -hmm. Um, and open Mm -hmm. and so part of that is good facilitation which is a skill that I think is um, sorely underappreciated part of that is knowing that there's value to social time and to people getting to know each other outside of you know within a meeting and outside of a meeting and then I think it is also meeting people where they are that not everyone, you know, feels comfortable in the select boardroom. Some people might feel more comfortable in a school building. Some people might feel more comfortable in a neighbor's house. Some people feel much more comfortable one-on-one, and some people feel much more comfortable in a group. And meeting people in sort of all of those different ways. I think social media is really, really powerful. I think it's very hard to have a two-way conversation on social media. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yes. what I think we were able to do with the campaign was really communicate very clearly that a lot of the nuance behind some political ideas, a lot of the nuance behind some policy ideas, we were able to excite people to show up, to have conversations. But the secret sauce of having those conversations on social media um, never quite got there. And I don't know I don't know what that is. And I think the kind of person who does 
have those conversations as not necessarily the same people who would go to a live meeting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When uh, I've been trying to um, say thank you to all of the incredible people who are offering congratulations from this campaign, I, I knew we had a lot of different medium that we were using, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then all of a sudden trying to say thank you in all 12 of them simultaneously has become way more overwhelming than, you know, pushing out the information was before. Because now it's all just coming in from that. And it's, yeah, head spinning <laughs> in its beauty. <laughs> so, like, in terms of the specifics of inviting people, do you think that's one of the keys is, like, just using all of those platforms to reach people? It's using all of those platforms and it's using social networks. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you ask the people you know and I'll ask the people I know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe with some movements, it's taking the time to really map out those relationships in a comprehensive way. We have the technology to do that now. We have people who are, you know, I did a little bit of that in grad school mm -hmm. and it's powerful to see how a social network is mapped and to really understand who connects to who and why and how um, and to use that information for good. You know, and to bring networks closer together rather than just to sell things. And I think you can see who's missing too from that if mm -hmm. you have a map of that. Like, yes. who, where are we lacking in terms of our representation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, you alluded to perhaps like um, the the house, like having an override veto, mm -hmm. but I didn't know if you had um, talked with or had any. You know, this will be your first legislative session, but going in, um, I know the Democratic Party got a lot of great things done last uh, term, and then they were vetoed. Are there any, like, strategies or things that have been been talking about about what to do if this situation happens again uh, this upcoming spring and how to maybe better go about either uh, like having a good media presence surrounding the ideas the Democratic Party is coming towards or cutting Phil Scott off before he gets into veto or what because he's had uh, you know two-thirds of the vetoes for the state of Vermont so no. oh, I haven't heard that number that's a fun one yeah there have been for three thirds the budget specifically the yes. budget. okay yeah, there have been three he's in the history two. of Vermont in the history yes. um, yeah, I think Vermont is moving towards a kind of politics that no one wants to see here, and we're not as, I think the average voter is not as aware of the precipice turning point that we're at in a way that people should be. I was on the statewide um, Democratic messaging team for a little while and then um, stopped when I declared mm -hmm. because, as I mentioned, I was really um, frozen out of the larger party while I was running because I was running against an incumbent. So looking forward to stepping much deeper into those conversations. I think there's a few things. One, we have people who are declared Democrats who are not necessarily always voting with the Democrats on veto issues. So I think it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to personally having conversations with those folks when I get to the legislature to figure out what, why they feel like that middle road is what their voters want different ways of looking at the issues. So much of the information that comes into the state house comes from advocates and lobbyists. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking forward to helping folks reframe those conversations to get to the heart of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we had chatted with Becca at the end of the last session, Becca Ballant, and she was just saying simple things too, just like 
what they should have done for, um, you know, the budget vote was had a roll call vote. So then they could have all the Republicans who voted yes on it have their vote and be like, look, you did vote yes on it. And now you're swi- switching because the head, your head of your party is making you mm-hmm. switch. So having that, like, very transparent, like... Much clearer accountability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think sharing... I'm looking forward to sort of, as I said, some of the tools that we've used in the campaign, using them on a statewide level to communicate some of that stuff with voters outside of Wyndham County. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I think that Phil Scott will give the legislator their bit of work. He seems to like to give them a runaround. I think it's important <laughs> also to remember that Phil Scott is not a man operating by himself. Oh, None of us are, right? Yeah. None of us are. But um, particularly, you know, the media tends to always, you know, Phil Scott gets the picture in every article rather than all of the people in the legislature that are working on these issues. Um, And he has a Republican Governors Association um, that are very interested in what's happening in the state. And as I said, you know, sort of that precipice we're on. Mm -hmm. Chief of Staff, Jason Gibbs, has a large hand in the administration, even though no one elected him. Yes. Yeah. Um, So really thinking about the broader network that is making this failure possible. Mm -hmm. Right. And, like, how do we hold people accountable, especially if they aren't elected like Jason Gibbs? Like, how do you, how do you speak to people like that? Yeah. And, and also hold all of these issues to that candidacy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's still, it's not, it's his, it's, like, Phil Scott's whole entourage or whatever that is the problem with why the budget was vetoed. You know, it's not like... Um, making it stick right does that make sense yeah Yeah. it wasn't like the budget wasn't good or it was the uh, it was a budget that almost everyone agreed on yeah Yeah. and the and it wasn't the the joint fiscal office no and so it's not and so it's also remembering it's not just phil scott's entourage it's that frame of way of doing you know way of really slowly chipping away at governance Mm -hmm. and government in order to decrease people's trust in it. And it really creates a ongoing cycle of scarcity and more scarcity and more scarcity and leads to, you know, the situation that Wisconsin is in right now. Which is not good. Thank you, Scott Walker. Although I think, uh, uh, not Wisconsin. Oh no, now I'm losing the state. Milwaukee was the first state to re- Back. Milwaukee is in Wisconsin. That's not a state. Uh, city. They had a vote in a state in the Midwest that had a right to work law, and they, yes, they voted. Yes, there was qu- there were t- oh. two different states that pushed back on right to work laws in this last primary. Yeah, that's and been they, very they got exciting it passed. to see. They got it passed. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. I think it was Wisconsin. We have some people standing up for unions now, which is wonderful. And I think something we really need to continue to pay attention to here in Vermont. Yeah, it's been a cool year for labor. Yes. And also sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, (laughs) I know, I know. But, you know, it's in in some ways it's like the best underdog story. Like in the wake of Janice, you have the teacher strikes. Yeah, yeah. So like, and and the nurses strike. Isn't Mm -hmm. that always how it works? The ebb and flow of history only. Kate Radcliffe would be so proud of me. (laughs) Shout out to Marble College. Um, Do you want to give us those figures, though? Yeah. So, um, 
if we look at all of Brattleboro, um, U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders got 2,058 votes. He squeaked by. It's actually the most anyone on the ballot got. Um, the total number of voters between all three districts was 2,398. So in District 1, that's the district that I live in and was running in, there was 1,919 voting. Wow, that's and almost that, half. And that's a, quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in District 2, we had 680, and District 3, 799. And so that's really exciting. We had a lot of people turn out. Um, and exciting to see how many people turn out when you run the kind of campaign that my team was able to pull off. You know, very inspiring for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's inspiring for us, too. Good. That's Good. great. Yeah. It was great to follow you from... PA. Yeah. I was and excited. then in my race in particular, um, it was 589 votes to 227 votes. Wow. Oh, pretty sound win there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, it feels like a mandate of sorts and a real affirmation of the kind of campaign we ran. Yeah. You know, we had nine people on the campaign team who are sort of, you know, permanent campaign team members, all volunteers jumping in with their time and their heart and their spirit. And then we had it more than 50 people volunteering, whether that was knocking on doors with me or writing postcards or whatever it was, making food. And then, yeah, hundreds of donors. Yeah. Giving like 10 bucks. Which is what it takes, I think, sometimes. I think it's what it takes. What yeah, it takes. it takes all the people. Do you have any other final words of from your first uh, run? Your first... It's really fun that I started some of these conversations here with you, too. <laughs> and um, really thinking about the long arc of history with democracy eventually. <laughs> and that what it means, you know, what eventual means. It means we keep on needing to chip away at what accountability is for our party and for our state and for each of our politicians. And what it means, you know, for the community to be accountable to itself. And I think that's how we're going to make real change is by showing up for each other slowly and building those relationships. And so thank you. Democracy is a wheel, not as an endpoint. Is that too cynical still? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving us some of your time, Emily. It was super great, as always, to talk with you. I want to congratulate you again. Yes. Thank you. And uh, congratulate Solomon. Having his mom back. <laughs> uh, Solomon, actually, I think we spent, you know, just as much time as we usually do. He was a great campaign aid oh right yeah. that's true I saw he made all the buttons photos. we had some really good long walks down dirt roads together and how much he was able to hear from our community um you know we were driving past you know going from one place to another the other day and he saw you know someone's house and he said it's so amazing that when we drive around now i remember all of these stories of all of these people so he gets to come come of age in a community that he knows so much more about than he did before which is great. It's a great yeah. gift. It's, I mean, that's another theme we hope to take up is, like, youth in politics. It's, like, came up when we interviewed Lachlan Francis, and I know Nader Hasim wants to talk a bit about that as well, and mm -hmm. Ethan Sanborn, and it'll be cool to see, like, where Solomon is in a few years and where he is now. Absolutely. I think he wants to be a page in the State House this year. Oh, my God. <laughs> you should have the youth vote. Fo do you know the youth vote folks? We don't. Oh. You might. I don't. There's a bunch of youth here in Brattleboro that are... Um, they're collecting signatures to have 
youth be able to serve on the select board and the school board here in Brattleboro. Um, 16 and 17 year olds, they were at the working the polls all day yesterday. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'll put you in touch so they can come on the show. Yeah. That would be great. Great folks. That would be great. Well, have fun pickling and swimming next week, Emily. Thank you. <laughs> Two great traditions. Yeah. Should we see if this works? Yeah, we're going to see if uh, we can actually send you all out with the song. Or if we broke the internet. Personally, rather work for the man than to work with me. Just so they can pretend they on my level. That's just irking to me. Pride always goeth before the fall, almost certainly. It's disturbing what I gross. What I gross. Survey says you're not even close. Not even close. Everybody's bosses to the time to pay for the office. To them invoices separate the men. From the boys over here, we measure success by how many people successful next to you. Here we say you broke if everybody is broke except for you. Brown turn on your four. Forbes list, probably looking around.